0: He looked at me and said, you know nothing about this. You're a young girl and you'll never make it. You guys will never make this happen. And I kept that posted on my computer. I wish I still had it for the longest time because look at us now. I mean, and that's not even just a testament to me. It's a testament to just like, forget you. Like we're building this because an industry needed a place to call its own.
1: This is the Women of American Manufacturing podcast, where we highlight female leaders and influencers who are revolutionizing the industry. In every episode, we explore each guest's journey into manufacturing, their vision for the future of American manufacturing, and the innovation, creativity, and communication that they bring to the industry. Thanks for being here, let's get started. Hello, welcome back. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Women of American Manufacturing podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Athanasiu, and we're gonna get started by welcoming Christina Fuges. So welcome, Christina, thank you so much for taking time to join me and all of our listeners today. Uh, Just to get started, could you introduce yourself?
0: Sure, first, thank you, Lindsay, for having me on this. I'm so used to being where you are as the interviewer, so this is always fun, so. I, I appreciate it. Cool. Uh, my name is Christina Fugis. I, um, I've i been an editor for 26 years in trade media, focused on specific niches of manufacturing. 24 of those years have been with a publication or a brand called moldmaking Making Technology, which we launched in 1998. The parent company, Gardner Business Media, is based in Cincinnati, Ohio, but I work remotely for for actually the length of the magazine, um, in my home office in Pennsylvania. And it's about 45 minutes north of Philadelphia. I'm not on the Pittsburgh side. I'm on the Philly side um, in a town called Doylestown, PA, with my husband of 24 years and my amazing 17-year-old son. Awesome. That is is, uh,
1: really cool. I think you're the first Guest on the podcast who's in manufacturing media. So I'm really oh, excited nice. to you know have another diverse background on the podcast and um, for you to share more about what that journey has been like. So let's uh, let's dig in. You mentioned that you've been in the industry almost 30 years. That's an amazing amount of time to be in one industry, right? So yes. I think that speaks volumes to uh, your commitment to that industry and also would suggest that you have a ton of just knowledge and you've seen so much evolve and change. So we're definitely going to dig into that today. But first, could you tell us how you ended up in the industry? Oh, that's a long story, but-
0: We have time. (laughs) I know, right? We have all the time in the world. I'd like to say I I kind of fell into trade publishing, although I've always loved writing and editing and storytelling, learning something new, and, and I think most of all, connecting people. But I did fall into it. I started in trade publishing around turn in, term, in terms of manufacturing trade publishing in 93 but it wasn't until 1997 that i was presented with an opportunity in plastics right in manufacturing and it wasn't at the time it wasn't just a job opportunity it was actually an opportunity to be a silent partner and that it was an editorial director title for a brand new startup publishing company like in my own town so the history of that is many people in the plastics industry may know joe Preeshack, who currently is the chairman of the board for the plastic group based in erie pennsylvania um, and they have two tool shops triangle tool and pen erie but he is actually the founder of mole making technology him and a partner at the time gary orf who's no longer with us invited me because i worked with him previously at a different publishing company. They asked me to join them on, still to this day, I call it like it was their crusade, you know, to launch this trade magazine just dedicated to mold making, which I knew nothing about, nothing about, which goes to show you that kind of like a salesperson. They say, if you're a good salesperson, you can can sell anything. You know, if you're a good editor, you can pretty much learn it and build your network and cover it, right? And get the information you need to share to help build an industry. So, Gary Orff and I, we spent the next several days because he lived in the same town as me, sitting at his kitchen table and just like uh, brainstorming. I was just like a sponge, you know. What is a mole? Tell me everything about what I need to know. I still have the notebook that I have that is full of my ideas and just pages and pages of questions, just learning. And then that next week, we drove out to Erie, Pennsylvania, to visit Joe, and he's you know huge corporation, and I basically got um, mole making one hundred and one. And from there it was nonstop. It was visiting shops, visiting potential suppliers um, to mold manufacturing facilities, just getting to know them and learning. Um, At the same time, we actually started a company. We called it, you know, it was so exciting because I just got married, hadn't had started a family yet, uh, got to name the company. I mean, it, it, we started it from everything from scratch, Gary and I. It was exhausting and it was exciting, but getting like moving offices, getting an office, setting up the, the computer system back there, learning the software. It, it was just on top of learning an industry and learning how to put a magazine together. It was just really exciting. But you know, I I do think that's one identifiable fact is I think a lot of shops in the mole making technology audience are kind of like that. They're they're small shops that some stay small and family owned, others have grown into bigger corporations, but it is still that kind of community small company feel, which is where mole-making technology came from. So through that, that company, two other women, Melanie and Heidi, who were on the design side and the trade show side, were then brought into the fold also. So it was two men that started the company that asked women from this previous publishing company who had since left and gone different ways to start the trade show division, uh, the editorial department and the production department. Uh, Very similar personalities in, um, I guess, go-getters, you know, and just working to get it done. And it was just the five of us for a while until we started hiring more people and, um, that we needed as we grew. We ended up, I think, as much as 10 people. So we remained small. The concept was to start magazines or acquire magazines and then sell them. So Gary and I would be on the road often throughout the years trying to sell mold making. And uh, in 2004, that actually did happen. Uh, With Gardner Business Media, but I was part of the package, (laughs) unbeknownst to me. (laughs) It was a tough time at that point because I never saw myself staying with one brand, let alone leaving a company that I was literally a partner in. But it ended up being so much better, Lindsay. I was Gardner Business Media as as again a family-owned company that has grown tremendously since 2004 when they acquired Molemaking. They were in an acquisition mode. They acquired other brands related to mold making. They have Modern Machine Shop, Plastics Technology, Composites World, Products Finishing, Production Machining. So it was a perfect fit, but the resources and the talent they have, you know, we couldn't beat it with our small company. So we were really able to take the publication, the trade show, um, to the next level. And really kind of, I think, dominate that market. They're really, knock on wood, there really hasn't been, and maybe it's because it's such a niche, there really hasn't been any competition. There was one early on. I guess it spun out, it was a magazine in the plastics industry that spun off a tooling-related, I think it started off as a supplement, it became a magazine. I'll I'll leave them unnamed, but we crushed them. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. There was a man in the industry. He's probably still around. Um, I had a post-it on my desk because when Gary and I were selling the concept of mole making, he looked at me and said, you know nothing about this. You're a young girl and you'll never make it. You guys will never make this happen. And I kept that post-it on my computer. I wish I still had it for the longest time because look at us now. I mean, and that's not even just a testament to me. It's a testament to just like... Forget you! Like we're building this because an industry needed a place to call its own. They wanted to be recognized as this specialized sect of manufacturing. That, as you probably even know, during COVID nineteen, if if no other time, proved that you need molds in North America. So, um, I just I just love kind of love that story. He was such a motivation back then. To be like, yeah, okay. Anybody tells me that, I'm ready to fight. <laughs>
1: Yeah. You're like a Ch- challenge accepted jerk.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's jerk. incredible. Um,
1: okay. One thing that okay. the notebook that you mentioned. Yes. That's going to end up in like, you know, a mold making manufacturing yeah. Smithsonian museum someday. <laughs> right.
0: That's, that's so
1: cool that you still have that.
0: Yes. I have it in my basement, I have this bin. Oh, I, I should have brought some of it up if I Took the time to do it. There's even just like these original notes and pieces, just concepts of things that we were thinking of back when we started, you know, and learning, you know, the logo, you know, all that kind of stuff. Our first promotional postcard, when people used to sell by selling postcards, promoting what was coming, the prototype issue. was kind of, yeah, I should do that. But well, that's nice of you to say. <laughs> I, I just that's a
1: piece of history right there, you know? And I think it's so interesting you you said there hasn't been much competition for you guys. I mean, probably because you grabbed you created the the market, right? And then you were just you owned it. And so who would want to come and compete with you? Sounds like one one organization did and they yeah. they lost pretty quickly. Yeah. So yeah. kudos. You obviously built something pretty amazing. And Not I just I, me, it was yeah, a team. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, I know Gardner well, they they manage um, PMPA, which is one of yeah, our partner yes. associations. And we're working with them on um, oh, great. a few of the other publications you mentioned. We do some webinars, some some articles with them. So great organization. I love every single person we've interfaced with. So yeah, really cool like that such a, an awesome organization acquired you guys and you've been happy ever since. So I love it. I think it's so interesting that you have worked from home pretty much since day one.
0: Yeah. Yep. Since day one, pretty much. And maybe
1: if you ever need to start a side hustle, you could be a consultant about, um, you know, (laughs) maximizing your productivity or, you know, your, your work from home space, because you've done it since before any of us had to even think about it.
0: But I have had people ask me that and I hesitate to give any kind of pointers just because of what you just said. I can't relate to these people that had to have all of a sudden work from home at their kitchen counter. Like I just, you know, if you look, my space is everything in here is very deliberate down to the paint on the walls, you know, just to make it be a work environment in my home. So I don't know. I don't know about that, Lindsay. So you're
1: saying because you never had to transition, you you, yes. you can't give advice? I, I don't think so. Exactly. If you've been working from home for over 20 years, I think you would have some <laughs> great advice that I might need to actually pick your brain about. So right. we'll bring that up in the uh, rapid fire questions later.
0: Okay. Um,
1: but you mentioned that you know two other women got pulled in by these two men that founded the company. You all yes. were silent partners. Is that right? Yes. Yep. So you know that's what this podcast is all about, right? Women in manufacturing. Yep. So tell me a little bit about what that experience has been to be able to be at the forefront of this with a majority of women, right? It's not just that you had some women involved; you were the majority at the time. What has that journey been like for you?
0: So it's interesting in in manufacturing. I, I don't know. I, I guess for for me, it's it's quite been like being a man on some level. I always say. It's a personality thing more than anything, because like I said earlier, these women, although we were very different, there was just definitely something similar about our personalities that I thought made us a nice fit for working within this company together. We didn't really associate too much outside of work. I will say that. you know We had our own lives, but within that building and within this mission that we were on and within manufacturing i think our personalities were a nice match for what some would say is a very traditional male-dominated industry right i i will tell you fast forward it's really um changed a lot in that regard but so back then i think it comes down to personality so i never really have faced a particular challenge being a 20 something year old woman or girl and i might i might say that's because when you're into something new right Anybody that I was meeting was automatically, I'm looking up to, right? Because I don't know anything. I wasn't coming in there like I was the know-it-all, right? Trying to help them. I was literally learning. They were the experts. So I was that sponge putting them somewhat above me, right? Because they're the experts. Teach me, teach me. Giving them that respect. And I think that I think that helped. And Melanie and Heidi were the same way. We were just there to serve them and help them. And something that was key to that in the beginning too, which I'll never forget I think it was Mike Zacharias from Extreme Tools was one of my original advisory board members at the time. uh, When we celebrated our 20 year anniversary, he said when mold making came along, that your brand helped legitimize our industry. So even hearing men and being a woman in an industry that's huge. You know, they were always lumped in. Like every every trade show, every publication had a section on tooling or molds, right? Or they would have a special edition or a section of a show. and And that almost was not enough for them. But that is their whole life is mold engineer, build, maintain, repair. So to have something totally dedicated to just what they do. I'm almost humbled by that when I think about that because we created something just for them and it's still here. And they're, I've never felt anything but respect, um, trust, and gratitude from this industry, which I like to call a community because they embraced um, the three of us and Gary and Joe too. They just embraced our mission right from the get-go because I guess maybe it was simply because they really needed it. They really needed something to help lift up that industry and give them the exposure that they deserve. So I can't again, I think I don't know that I experience it any differently. I do come from a big family. I do have a lot of brothers, you know, a lot of men in my life that I think I might get along better with on some level. I don't I don't know. It's personality to me.
1: Yeah. No, I, I that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's cool that you shared that you think Somewhat because of the deference that you were showing to a lot of these industry veterans at the time as someone new to it, yep. wanting to learn, kind of earn you maybe some trust and initial respect rather than coming in and being like, "I'm doing this. I'm gonna yes. you know build this awesome thing. you know, that can be threatening whether you're a man or a woman. True. right? And so you came in with this like humble approach, like, I know I need to learn. I want to learn from you. Um, and now you are like one of those experts yourself, which I think is just an amazing career arc.
0: Well, I wouldn't call me an expert. What I've done is, and I do pride myself with this if somebody in the industry has a question or a pain point, I will damn well get them that answer. Like my network, like the trust, what I like to think, what I've tried to help build by serving this community and getting that trust, I will get them an answer. I will get them that connection. I mean, some of the most proud actually i think one of your questions before was um we wanted to talk about like a proud moment one of the proudest moments like you would think i would say launching a company right and, and and absolutely um being able to be part of creating something for mold builders to communicate and to share and hitting a 20-year milestone legitimizing an industry all that stuff but there are a moment that sticks out which is kind of recently like my network I helped somebody get a job when he unexpectedly lost a job. You know, like I, I've helped a shop that was like desperate for, um, you know, a big project, and not knowing that somebody out there was looking for a shop that is like them to connect them and for it to work out. Like that is what motivates me. Like when you think about the greater picture of what you're trying to do with your work, that's better than any story I can tell. Is the network and helping these people connect to make their lives better and the lives of their employees better by finding them a job or work, right? Or solving those pain points. And that only can come with building trust and and I guess making yourself vulnerable too, because I don't always I don't always have the answer, and I never want to be someone that says, "Okay, you, you need a speaker on five axis machining molds." That's Christina. That is not me. But I will find you who I consider one of the best ones. I'll find you a panel that can help that has real life examples to show and share. But that's not me. I'll moderate. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean I would still push back and say you're you're an expert
1: in knowing the structure and the people and the organizations in the industry you're in. Okay, right? yes, I'll
0: take Okay, that. Yes. there we go, there yes. we go. I mean, if you
1: can answer basically any question, point someone in any direction related yeah. to mold making, I would say, yeah, you're, you're there. That is um, something I, I bet only a few people could actually say or do, so um, really cool. I love that you're, you're talking about, you know, you are most proud not of the metrics of vanity, awards, companies acquired, things like that. You're really proud of the metrics of meaning, which is like personally helping people with the network you've built and acquired and nurtured over yes. time. So that's your proudest moment, which I think is, is laudable. So nice job. What would you say is, is your biggest challenge or has been your biggest challenge?
0: Well, right now, and I guess COVID has really emphasize this, but it, yeah, I guess right now it has to be that, that this community loves itself, you know, like, or loves each other, I should say. So being connected is so critical and the in-person events, man, I mean, that is so missed. So the challenge has been, how do you do that virtually? You know, and, um, we, t- we have an annual trade show, Amerimold, um, which used to be called the Mold Making Expo when we launched the magazine. And then when Gardner acquired it, it went through some changes. But it's still, you know, missing that last year because of COVID. And we turned to virtual, uh, you know, these virtual events, they're just not the same. Um, even my MMT chat series, which started right when COVID hit back in March last year, so many stories of mold builders saving the day, right? And needing a way to continue to tell these stories, which may be visiting them in person or seeing them at conferences and trade shows, you know, came to a halt. So technology helped keep those stories going, but it's still a challenge. That personal touch—I mean, it is a hug. It's a hugging, handshaking, having a lunch, having a drink, uh, community, right? So <laughs> that's the biggest challenge right now. Is—is is, I don't know that you can really virtually duplicate that. Our show is scheduled for September 21st to the 23rd in Rosemont, Illinois this year. So I am beyond excited to see people because I've been nowhere. I haven't been on a plane since COVID. So I don't know what I'm gonna be like when I start seeing people in person. Look out. (laughs) I had this conversation with
1: someone else recently. I was like, I'm just gonna cry. Like meeting strangers in person, shaking someone's hand. Yes. If we're allowed to do that, you know? It's like for extroverts which i'm making an assumption and you know assuming that you are but for extroverts that really thrive on that type of energy and interaction like Yes. It's been hard. It's been
0: really hard. Yep. Energy is a good that's a great word for it. That's what it is, because you really can only feel, and I'm speaking mold making. Um, you can only get to know it by feeling that energy in person. Whether you're in a shop, yeah, or at a show. So that's a great word. It's the energy. I miss that. Yeah. I miss it. <laughs> you're right. I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna cry too. I think that will be <laughs> a first on the podcast is making one of my guests
1: cry. Yes. <laughs> Let's pivot. Let's pivot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what would you say, you know, you, you have your finger on the pulse of what's happening in American mold making, but because of your role, your experience in the industry, how many folks you talk to on a regular basis who are doing the work, right? Um, in your best, like estimate, what do you, what do you say is coming next for American mold making?
0: Ooh, so, oh gosh, it's changed so much when I think of, um, I mean, not only how we do content, I say, well, making is all about community and content, is what I say. So our team produces the content to help our community. You know, they have to innovate, they have to advance, they have to change whenever it's needed. And they've done an amazing job with that, um, our team and the industry. But just like the industry, right, we've had to change how we develop and deliver content. So COVID, again, more digital, more social, and a very print-centric industry, trade publishing. You know, we've had to adapt. And it's been exciting. It's been a challenge, but it's been exciting. But so as we are changing how we develop content and push it out there, so have the topics, because especially during this year, let alone the past 20 years, um, so what they, they're always very good at expressing their pain points. So mold making technology too, I've always started off, its the, I always say, which is probably not going to surprise you, it's their magazine, it's their trade show, because it's their industry. You know, we're just here to, to, to help educate them through the experts in their field. So mole has an editorial advisory board that rotates every three years. So there's people that, you know, I solicit them, people approach me and they're just there to lean on. Uh, we have regular meetings, we have an in-person, you know, missed it last year, an in-person meeting and dinner, um, lean on for their boots on the ground, right? So I'm finding out from them What's going on? They'll give me leads. You know, we bounce ideas off of the of this board. Um, so the pain points, as they express their new pain points, we try to attack them. That's how we keep on top of it. So lately, this year, 100% has been supply chain, right? Has been the market conditions, you know, economics, um, training, and dealing with remote workers. They have been like the, the hot things this year. So we've had to Our job, I guess, is to meet our readers where they are, you know, literally. So we've now had to seek out that kind of content. And there's even organizations within Gardner, we have a whole intelligence team. So when they're looking for market conditions, well, we ramp up those things. We're trying to collect more data to help them understand what's going on so they can make better decisions as they move forward. So the big change in mold making, that's a long way of getting to this. The big change in mold making is data. You know, which is obviously tied to industry 4.0, right? So when I look at the market that I cover, um, it comes down to data, right? And that's going to help them innovate. And I guess an example, the next generation of mold builder or mold making professionals, I'll call them, are going to be completely reliant on technology, right? To advance manufacturing because what we call that tribal knowledge that has built this marketplace uh, is, is retiring, Right it's on its way out. So that makes data all the more important um, because they need to make their processes more efficient and they need to be able to make a better product. And in our case, that's a mold. And in my world, that's everything from mold design, taking that mold all the way to mold maintenance. So we usually, I think we say our tagline has been, you know, we're designed to first shot. So once that mold gets in the molding machine, our sister publication, plastics technology, pretty much takes over. We dabble in the molding side of the industry, but only as it pertains to like what a mold builder needs to know, like maintaining that mold or know enough about resins that it's how it impacts how you're running or designing the mold. Um, so if you're not familiar with mold making, I should, I guess I should back up a little bit um, because a lot of people think that they're just a job shop, right? And they are not. Again, that's why we're a niche. Brand, right? It's really about highly accurate, uh, one of a kind custom parts. So a mold is basically the very important part that makes parts, right? If you think about it and the complexities and the tolerances of mold work make it very demanding. So a mold in itself, again, because of data, because of where the industry's going, manufacturing, the mold itself is no longer just like this cavity and core that comes together and pumps out a part. It's actually, it's a manufacturing system like that's unique into itself. You know, it's an engineered product. It's not just about cutting steel anymore. In essence, it's a machine. It's it's this integrated machine within a process that's built upon science and data. And that's when innovation change and technology enter into this sect of mold making. And some call it, I think I've even covered this with um, people that I've worked with in the industry, tooling 4.0. Like if you're gonna take industry 4.0 and bring it to the mold. So, but whatever you call it, it's still about engineering a better, more cost-effective mold. And that takes technology. And that can be anything from additive manufacturing, right? Additive tooling, is a big deal in the even in the additive manufacturing space. A lot of people are applying three D printing directly to tooling, where you get the best it has the the best ROI. We'll say data handling across the mold making enterprise, data f- across the supply chain, data for lights-out machining, collaboration tools even more than ever now. Virtual manufacturing um, shops are doing remote tryouts, remote servicing, machine monitoring, all that kind of stuff. I think is really been a big change. And to me, it's all based on you got to have data, right? Got to have data.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, people have been beating that drum for years now, you know, and it's, I guess it's good that it's still such a hot topic and and people are really waking up to it, but it's been slow.
0: (laughs) It has (laughs) been slow. Yes. Well, think about it too, though. There's so much, I think the big question as of late has been, they get it. They get that you need data. Now, and they'll not even go so far as, as collecting all this data. What am I supposed to do with all this data, right? That's the challenge. Yeah, exactly. How, how do I put it to
1: work for my business? If I paid to get it, right? If I paid in these systems that are analyzing my processes now, you know, what do I do with the knowledge and how do, how do I interpret it? It's a whole skill set that so many people in just the manufacturing industry, you know, they they need more training around it. You know, they know that they they need that. But I wonder if that's another opportunity. Um, maybe mold making technology is going <laughs> to provide some of that. But I would love to back up a minute. You, you gave a great description of what Mold making actually is, you know, injection mold. As as an industry, what what it is? Some great taglines that I'm definitely going to steal from you. <laughs> but I think for for anyone who's listening, who may be new to the industry or completely outside the industry, earlier you also mentioned that you know COVID just created a whole boom for the mold-making industry. Right. And I would love for you to give a little more description of, of why and what those products were that suddenly became in demand uh, that mold-making then supplied and has been continuing to supply.
0: Okay, so first I have to say, if you really want to hear the stories, go to moldmakingtechnology.com, click on the MMT Chats tab, and all those video interviews from a year ago are videos of the shops telling their stories. So, all right, so when COVID hit, What was eye opening um, to a lot of people and maybe even just a lot of Americans or North Americans was really how much was not here. We didn't have uh, the respirators, the ventilators or the components of those things. We didn't have the masks here Um, now. And I, I even learned through the months that, um, even for medicine, like how much of what we use to make our medicines is not even in the state. So I think everybody's discovered how much is not, they kind of know it, but it was really emphasized during COVID. So when we needed to ramp up because of what was happening and the urgency, 3D printing came into play and kudos to them because I think they helped solve some issues too, to get products out there quickly, but the volume that we needed them, right, takes a mold. So mold builders and a lot of mold builders that weren't even in the medical space, right, um, were asked to or took the initiative to get in there, to stand up and to take action and to push other jobs aside. Now, mind you, that's also a testament to the whole supply chain because all customers in say a mold shop. Their other customers were willing to step aside to put these other let these other projects jump the line. Um, to to put a mold together, you need the components to go in the mold. Whether it's the hot runner systems or whatever other components to build the the mold base is the steel. That entire supply chain came together to get these mold builders what they needed in record time to get these molds built to pump out the parts that were needed. It was mostly uh, respirator parts and ventilator parts that that were the critical. Uh, most a lot of them jumped into to do face shields. You know, a lot of them also like many people were making the homemade masks too. But when it came to mold building skills, it was. Uh, ventilators and respirator parts. Um, and it was just amazing. And it was, there's probably so many more, um, out there that have stories to tell and share. What was fascinating, um, and kind of comical, um, was how fast they learned they were able to do these things that it's like, and I would always say to them, so what did you learn about your process that why can't you be this fast all the time? (laughs) Right. And some, you know, they could, they could chuckle back, but at sometimes they did learn areas of, whether it's the people side of the business, the scheduling side, um, whatever it might be. They did learn that they could be more efficient and there are things that stuck with them. And some shops have transformed their business model that way. Um, so that's what happened. It, it, it was an exciting talk about a silver lining to a crazy time in our history. Um, f- again, for this to put the spotlight on this sect of manufacturing, it's like, wow, the men and women just blew me away with how they just took action.
1: Yeah, I mean, when push came to shove, they rose to the occasion. Yep. And um, back to the comment about data, right? Now Now yeah. they can look and say, oh my God, I had way yes. more capacity than I thought, yes. or than we were actually using. Um, yeah, we have these good. capabilities yep. that now can grow our business because we know it's there and we've we've proved we can use it. That's really cool, yes. I love that. Now that we're so close, I put it in quotes, to so being on the other side of COVID, I love all the silver linings that people are really starting to to see and and really benefit from. It's such a a happy way to look back and be like, wow, that was actually an, an amazing opportunity for for me to learn X, Y, and Z and, and do A, B, C for my business, for myself, you know. Um, really cool. So that's you know what the mold making companies are doing to innovate, you know, lead change, push forward to Industry 4.0. What are you doing at the media company that you would like to share with people today that might suggest that you guys are doing something similar, not just telling the stories of what the companies and the manufacturers themselves are doing?
0: So we definitely are collecting. I think I um, said this earlier. Our intelligence department, because again, the need of the industry, we are collecting more data and getting more data out there. So if you go to garterintelligence.com our, our economists on that side of the business are doing a great job. Out of that too, there's a lot of new projects that have come out of this past year. Somebody in the industry, James Sotos, who is a, I don't know if you know him. He's, yeah. So his he coined this phrase and I keep using it over and over again. A lot of things companies are doing. It wasn't, it was COVID accelerated a lot of initiatives or efforts like a lot of things all of us are doing we should have been doing anyway or we eventually were going to be doing but COVID just forced us to do it so it accelerated all these things so gardner itself with the data collecting more data sharing more data on our audiences on our audiences on top of what's happening in the end markets that we cover for our audience they have a top shops Program. I, don't know if you guys, I don't know if you're familiar with Top Shops, that's been around for a while under our Modern Machine Shop brand. We are now, I think every brand um, has their own Top Shops, it's, which is a benchmarking program, right? That shops can participate in to taking this survey But this is now part of a a larger program, we're having a Top Shops conference in October, and there's going to be this sourcing platform that's tied to this program, which is also born out of a Merimold during COVID and a little prior to COVID with the whole reshoring effort our readers are coming to us that they are either looking for work, right? Uh, Well, OEMs and molders are looking for mold builders and vice versa. So Gardner is working on this sourcing platform as part of Top Shops where companies can enter into that. So we're gonna, again, be connecting people um, to get the job done here in North America, right? To get things made. Um, that's a, that's a huge initiative that we've changed outside of video. I mean, all our brands are doing more video, more social media content. Like, oh, I, I love it. And I hate it because it's one of those tough things trying to, trying to prove why we're doing all that is really tough in that space. Um, it's fun. You can show more of your personality, but that is a big change for a very print centric industry as trade publishing. Um, Those are some of the main things. I know coming up in June, in terms of the next generation, we are spotlighting 30 mold making professionals under 30 years of age. Um, Got a fantastic response. We got more than 30. So we are creating what we're calling a microsite on moldmakingtechnology.com that will house all of these videos I'm doing with these people, the feature story, the cover story, these blogs of all these amazing young people. Oh my gosh, some of them, their stories are just incredible. And I have a ton of nieces and nephews that are of the age where they need to start thinking about uh, what they wanna do. And I've been passing these stories on to them because just when you think you have to have a certain skill set to enter this world of manufacturing, not that you shouldn't have some kind of skill set, but um, you don't need it. They're looking for work ethic and passion and motivation and wanting to make a difference, you know, wanting to learn something new. And the backgrounds of some of these women and men is just so fun. Like I, the way they ended up here, it's so motivating to me that's been doing it for so long. So um, that is very uplifting, I think, and should be for everybody in our industry. When people say, oh, it's dying out and what's gonna happen? The average age is this. Oh my gosh, they're coming in and they're making, they're gonna force us to do things differently, right? On top of COVID, they're so open to changing the processes and systems of how mobile building used to be done. And that's exciting to me because that's what has to happen, right?
1: A hundred percent. And you just reminded me uh, exactly of one of the, actually the, the Titles of our recent episodes. Actually, someone that you know, Hillary Thomas over at Westminster. Their hiring philosophy is hire for character, train for skill. Yes. So yeah, of course you need to have some base level of skill set to come into any industry yep. really, right? But people can acquire the skill set if they're given the right training. And if you have a leader who's willing to invest in that for, for your for your employees. And one of the goals of this podcast is exactly what you're talking about. You're sharing these 30 under 30 stories with your nieces and nephews who are starting to think about what they want to do in the world. We're trying to impact that generation so that more young people actually view manufacturing in America as a very vibrant, diverse community with a ton of opportunity to be had. And one of the things I love to ask people to try to aid in that, you know, make these like 17 year olds get excited about manufacturing is what do you think is really cool about the industry?
0: Oh, my gosh. To me, it's amazing still. It's a huge marketing problem, right? Because everyone used to say it's dark, dirty, and dingy, right, Uh, which, number one, people would say, that's not for women, right? It is nothing like that. Will you go into some shops that look more traditional? Yes. But I still am amazed at the software, automation, robotics, 3D printing. You think of all the things you visually see when you walk into a shop. How is that not attractive to this younger generation? That's all, that's all they're about. You know, you would have thought back in the day that wouldn't have been attractive. Now I I don't get it. I just think it's because the world we are not putting out there that that's what it's like. And I it's 2021 and we're st- we still fight that battle. Um and you're even talking to someone that I am in the industry. I'm not on the shop floor. I'm not a machinist. I'm not a designer that goes to show there are jobs even surrounding manufacturing that are critical that have nothing to do if you don't want to be that type of a person in manufacturing. They still need sales and marketing. They need human resources they need um R&D. I mean think of all the uh, one of the 30 under 30s is this amazing girl from one of our steel suppliers who is an en- industrial engineer at heart a degreed engineer she is so passionate she i call her my piece on her she's now a lean manufacturing enthusiast she loves the concept of lean manufacturing and how because it's all about order and organization so another example of don't just think of it in in one way and that's one of those Commonly held misperceptions and myths about this, right, is is what we're just talking about, and it's a huge marketing problem. That's all it is.
1: That's funny uh, to describe it that way. It's it's yeah, you nailed it. This generation, I guess it's it's not Gen Z anymore, right? I think we're past that. No. So whoever's in like you know junior high and high so. school right now, I don't know the name of that. <laughs> Generation, yeah, but I guess it's your son, right? Um, we should figure <laughs> that out. But um yeah. yeah, they're all like gamers. And I actually one of my podcast guests recently, she said her nine year old saved his money for like a year and he bought a 3D printer. See, you know, yeah. and they're 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 all already manufacturers in so many ways. They're engineers, yes. like they're already they already have these STEM brains just by like nature of their hobbies and that they've grown up with these technologies around them and they know how to use them. It's it's second nature. So second nature. yeah. Yeah, marketing problem it absolutely is and we need to solve that so hopefully this is a small piece of helping solve it you mentioned that you know there's an incredible woman on this 30 under 30 list and when we were, were chatting the first time you said that a lot of these people on that list are actually women and that was a product of people just nominating
0: yes people yep suppliers in the industry like steel companies software companies so people that supply product and technology to our readership it was also open to them because again I just don't want it to be young people on the shop floor we want to show all the influencers out there so it was those companies too so and all kinds there's there's people that are owners you know women young young women and men that are owners right under 30 that are leadership positions management position but you all those different job titles that i mentioned before it's it's and i tried to the ones that i selected for to highlight the 30 I was very intentional about it because I do want to show that. I want to show that there's a variety of ways to engage in manufacturing and make a really good living. So, yeah, and seeing the women is just – It's just, it's awesome. It's magic. It is magic. When does that list come out? That comes out, well, probably come out digitally in May because we try to put things out earlier on our website. So probably mid-May, but it is our June print issue cover story. And we are planning on doing a special 30 Under 30 happy hour at Amerimold for this special crew. So I really want to promote to them and anybody else out there under 30 to get to Rosemont because, oh, how awesome would it be? to be able to take some video or photo of just all these under 30 men and women hanging out together because that's what we need to get them together, right? And grow this industry. So I'm looking forward to that.
1: That's awesome. Well, I hope to be there in person. How can anyone who's listening today who wants to attend that conference, how would they go about signing
0: up? They just need to go to AmerimoldExpo.com and the registration button's right right there and all information that the floor plan's up there to look at. Um, we're developing the conferencing or the show floor educational program right now. I've, that's under my charge. So we're actually putting that together. That's free. Um, we're looking at, there'll be in-booth demos. So yeah, check out AmerimoldExpo.com. Very cool. Yeah. Christina,
1: we've covered a lot and this has been super we fun. <laughs> We're gonna pivot into our rapid fire questions. Hopefully you're ready. Oh geez. I'm just gonna chuck a question at you. It's it's you know a little more personal based, uh, so listeners can get a real a sense of who might be behind the professional Christina that they've heard today. And just give me the first thing that comes into your mind, all right? Okay. <laughs> all right, let's start. So who's one famous person you wish would work in manufacturing with you? Mike Rowe. What's your favorite? My bro, pl-
0: I love him. <laughs> we need him.
1: <laughs> What's your favorite blogger
0: podcast? Oh, oh, this is an interesting one. I am into the Bible in a year with Father Mike Schmidt right now, which is taking over by storm. I love it. It's great. Cool. What's the last movie you saw? Does Netflix count? Netflix documentaries? Right now I'm into Formula One Drive to Survive. Love it.
1: Haven't, yes, haven't heard of that.
0: I, yes, I recommend that. It's very exciting. Are you a big NASCAR <laughs> fan? No, not what the industry is. I mean, I like anything fast, but this, the form, this is really kind of behind the scenes, getting to know the drivers, but I'm getting, me and my husband are excited to start watching some Formula One now, so I recommend it. Cool. Do you have a pet? I do not. What's the last vacation you took? Uh, beach, North Wildwood, New Jersey with my family.
1: Back to the whole work from home thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> what would okay. you say like your best tip is for working from home?
0: Routine. I guess you have to have a schedule and a routine, and you got to stick to it. You can't be this, oh, you know, free-flowing. You got to have a schedule. Agreed. Favorite food? Sushi. That's an easy one. What kind? <laughs> oh, you're going to ask that. Um, oh gosh, I really try anything. I, I, I don't really have a favorite. It's just sushi in general and sashimi. I just love it all. What I don't like is... Oh gosh, what's that kind? Now I'm forgetting what it is. Um, it's the sea urchin. What's that called? It's disgusting. It's the only kind I won't have. What's that
1: called? Sorry to any <laughs> listeners who love
0: that. It's disgusting. It's disgusting.
1: <laughs> yeah, there are a few off-limits fish for yes. me as well, but right. I won't dive into that. It's kind of early. Okay, finally. What's the number okay. one reason you believe more women should work in manufacturing?
0: Oh, it's simple. We're an untapped talent to fill the skills gap, you know. And plus, like I said before, there are so many options for fulfilling work in this industry. So, and women, I just I just think it's right up their alley. So, yeah. That's what I'd say. Go go girl power. Beautiful. <laughs> there, I Beautiful. Said it. <laughs> you said it.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, Christina I'm sure folks are going to listen to this and be like, "She's awesome. I want to chat with her." <laughs> so, if anyone did want to network with you, you know, pick your brain or just say hello, uh, what would be the best way for them to reach you?
0: The best way I'm going to encourage social media. I like, get to my LinkedIn page, Christina Fugis. You can reach out to me there. I'm on Twitter. Um, And email, cfugis at gardnerweb.com. I need to warn everybody that once you connect with me, I will not let it go. If you have a story to tell, um, I often get people asking, you know, how do I get on the pages of the magazine? How do I get on, on this video chat? All you have to do is open that door. And I am like, what do you call that? Like a dog? Like I don't let go. You know, I'm gonna get onto that leg and I'm gonna get that story. So I need to warn of that. But yes, social media and my email will work just fine. I
1: love that you just threatened anyone who's gonna get in touch with you with how generous you are. Like, that was a good spin, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're gonna threaten someone, make it make it make How's you look that? good. Okay, folks. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, Christina. Oh, I you, learned a Lindsay. lot from you. This was really fun. Was I'm looking fun. forward to meeting you in person.
0: Likewise. Hopefully later this
1: year. Thank you for all the work you do to, you know, not just move the manufacturing industry forward, but also to, to help other women. Thank you. I hope you have a great day. Thank you so much for being here. You too. The Women of American Manufacturing podcast is brought to you by Paperless Parts. Paperless Parts empowers job shop and contract manufacturers to modernize and grow using the company's secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based estimating platform. The software streamlines manufacturers' existing workflows by combining business process automation tools and a proprietary geometric pricing engine to power configurable formulas that drive estimating consistency and accuracy. The platform integrates with ERP systems to level up front office business operations and customer communication and enables more efficient responses to RFQs for a variety of manufacturing processes including sheet metal fabrication, CNC machining, and additive manufacturing. Over 1 million files have been uploaded and analyzed through the platform to support the estimating process for manufacturers providing components and assemblies for the aerospace and defense, medical, semiconductors, and industrial sectors. Privately funded by manufacturing industry experts, Paperless Parts was founded in 2017 and is headquartered in Boston. You can learn more at www.paperlessparts.com.